22. And we'll start at the beginning here and read to, to verse 14. It says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And I'll pray again before we continue. Lord God, as we're looking at your word, I thank you for it. Thank you that we can read it aloud together and that your word is profitable, it is useful for us, it is for our benefit that you have given it to us, Lord. So we just ask that as we continue this morning that you would guide my words, my thoughts, and I just pray that the things said this morning um, would be a help and usefulness and that people would be uplifted and brought closer to you through our time together, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you were here last week, you remember that uh, there was a sort of a similar parable that Jesus gave of a husbandman or a householder that planted a vineyard and then he lent it out to husbandmen. That he gave people the job of taking care of that vineyard and and then he expected to receive of the harvest of that at the end. And when he sent his servants, those men that were renting it killed the servants and eventually killed his son as well. And so we see just a similar picture. And I pointed that that picture was God establishing his church and initially that was the nation of Israel, was the vineyard. And he put people in authority over that thing to take care of that church, to guide it and to make it grow and be fruitful. And yet, when he sent his prophets and teachers 
They hated them. <laughs> when they were sent with warnings of, there's expectations here. <laughs> we want to, God wants to receive a profit from this thing. He wants it to be fruitful. He's going to descend expecting a harvest. And they hated those men that came with those messages and mistreated them, beat them, sometimes killed them. And when the Son, which is Christ, came, they did the same to him. And it had a, this funny thing in there that it's as if they thought that they could somehow inherit this thing, this church, that the power, the authority there would be theirs. Yet it was never theirs to start with. To think that we can exclude God from the things that we do as a church just is foolishness. And yet, we're often guilty of that. Now, when we turn to chapter 22 and we see this parable, it, it says directly, Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, and so this is a parable. This is an earthly story of a heavenly truth, of a spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to teach something to these people. And I think we have this tendency as the New Testament church to, to picture ourselves and because of what scripture says, we are we're called the bride of Christ. And so we have the tendency to try to fit that teaching, that explanation of our relationship with Christ into everything that talks about a, a wedding or a, a marriage. And it really doesn't fit this parable. So trying to fit the church to match the bride and, and the relationship that's going on here doesn't fit this at all. It just wouldn't make sense to try to put the two things together. So just realizing this is, this is just a parable and he's trying to teach a truth. And so we need to understand and try to understand what truth it is that he's teaching through this parable. And so that's what we'll go through this morning. And very, uh, I, I reviewed the vineyard because this is very similar in its intent here and what Jesus is getting across. Verse 2 says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And them that were bidden, in this case, the context of this, it would be the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And I just turn to a couple of passages just to look at how Scripture describes that. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We could go all the way back to, to Genesis when God calls out Abraham and makes promises of making a great nation of him. Because that is certainly the start of that promise and of that calling out of this particular people. But I just wanted to look at the way, the, the language that is used to describe the nation of Israel, um, in particular once it's being established. 
So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And that's the description. That's, that's how God views the nation of Israel, is this special chosen people set aside for his purpose. And he wants, <laughs> this is, this is, those are the people that were <coughs> bidden. Those are the ones that are called to this wedding. Second Samuel chapter 7, we see a similar description. I just wanted to, to look at this one again. Second Samuel chapter 7. Verse 23 and 24 says, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and from their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel, to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And this is just such a very direct statement of this is God's called out people. He has set the nation of Israel aside as his chosen people. These are the people that Jesus is referring to that have been called to this wedding. The, it's like a certain king which made a marriage for his son, that's, that's Israel. <laughs> he sent his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. These people that God set aside and he blessed them with all these blessings. And they wouldn't come. When we look at Israel and the way God treated them, what God did for them. In, you know, we're in Deuteronomy. Moses brought those people out of bondage in Egypt. God performed magnificent miracles. Stuff that just, there's no explanation for. It's just purely God's hand. And the, you looked at, you look at the nations. I'm, I'm just reading in Joshua right now. And Israel's going into the land that God promised. Joshua's leading them. And every time they encounter people from that land, it's like those people know the stories. God, they already know what God did as he brought them out of Egypt. And they're just terrified because they know that this land belongs to them. God promised it, and they haven't got a chance to stand against that God that brought them out of Egypt the way that he did. And God gave them his law. He's like, directly, here, here's what I want. This is the way I want you to live. These are the things I want you to do. These are the things that you ought not to do. This is how you need to treat people. And he gave them all this instruction, and it's a lot of instruction, <laughs> And it, 
he, he continued to speak through his prophets and all these people to give the instruction. And he gave them whatever they needed, whatever they wanted. They asked for a king. They gave, he gave them a king. He did all these things. And yet, in the end, they ended up rejecting him. But if we look at Romans chapter 3, when you compare Israel with us Gentiles, non-Jews, there's a difference. Romans 3 verse 1 says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there in circumcision? He says, much, every way. Chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. God gave them all this scripture, all this instruction to point them to Christ. To prepare them for the Savior that he was going to send. They had full advantage and it was considered an advantage over the rest of the world. The rest of the world, there was always been opportunity to turn to God. But man, the advantage of having God choosing you and giving you special treatment, that's an advantage. And yet, they've turned that advantage to nothing. And they've rejected what God gave to them. This chapter in, in Romans 3, it keeps speaking of that. And I just want to, I'm going to pick it up in verse 9 and read a little bit more of it. It says, what then? Are we better than they? Since they had the advantage and we've received of God's promises. It says, no, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, are, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You read that, like, you think of what we read, like, in Deuteronomy and Samuel, of how God treated Israel, <laughs> the special care and provision, the giving of the law, the giving of people, leaders, prophets, directing them, pointing them in the right way. They had all this advantage and yet ended up 
worse than the rest of the world in many ways. But we see here, and verse 18 is just baffles the mind to think that you could have all that instruction. You think of the people that Jesus is dealing with, the religious leaders of the Jews, these people who studied and memorized and taught the scriptures, and he, they described that there is no fear of God before their eyes. You think of the, the numerous passages, Psalms and Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> they should have known. They should have had that fear, that understanding of who God is and the judgment on their sin. And verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with with this group of people on a day-to-day basis is that they felt as if they were okay before God because they kept the law. And yet, the scripture says, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Their studying of scripture and of the law should have just made them all the more aware of their sinfulness. And yet somehow, they came to the conclusion that, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. I've, took, I've obeyed the law. And yet, they should have understood just how far from keeping the law they really were, but it was just in pretense. And their heart was so far from God that they didn't even see the truth of it. And so this is the group that Jesus is talking about. And he's, he's talking to the people that he's describing in the parable. <laughs> the end of verse 3 says, or, well, then sent forth the servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. <laughs> they wouldn't come. Israel as a nation, as a whole, the group of people rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They wouldn't have him as their king. And even just a couple of weeks ago, we're looking at what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, where there's crowds of people treating him as if they're about to accept him and make him their king and accept him as their Messiah. And yet, a couple days from this point, they're all going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That people rejected Christ as their Messiah and as their king. It says they would not come. Verse 4, Matthew 22 says, Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, 
and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. He sends, he sends more servants to the same group of people that rejected the message of the first servants and gives them another chance. Come, the, everything's prepared. You just come. And they would not. And they go and they get busy with life. Doesn't that sound normal? <laughs> we just get busy with life. And we reject what God has for us, the blessings that God has for us, because we're too busy with our day-to-day -day things, with our farms and our jobs and our families and fishing and whatever, you know, planting our gardens. We're anxious to plant our gardens. <laughs> We're talking about whether we should shovel off our, our garden areas so that the, the sun can get in there and start warming it up, right? But, but we can get busy with these things and we forget about God and we reject the invitation because we're busy. We need to be careful not to be too busy for God. And it says that they, some of them, not even just got busy, but they hated those servants so much that they killed them. They don't want to hear the message that God's servants have to bring to them. Have you ever felt hated for trying to preach the gospel to somebody? <laughs> That's, we looked at that a little bit last week with the, the prophets and how they were treated. And these guys that we were, we, we look at these great prophets that wrote these large books of the Old Testament. I get Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and these people. But how were they treated? <laughs> they, they were hated. <laughs> the religious. Jews hated these people that wrote such huge portions of our Bible. And they were beaten and, and killed, terribly treated, because the people didn't want to hear that message. They didn't want to hear what God had to say. And this is exactly what's being described as Jesus is pointing them to this exact thing. You're being just like those that treated those prophets. You're treating me the same way. Verse 7 in this that I just read, says, when the king heard thereof, of how they treated these people, the servants that were going to bring this message, the invitation to come. Can you imagine? It's an invitation to come to a feast, to a celebration to eat at God's table. And we hate the people bringing that message, bringing that invitation. And we kill those people that bring the invitation to eat at God's table. It says, when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now, I look at this as a prophetic verse in many ways. Um, I think some people would take this from a historical context 
and look maybe back to around the year 70 AD when armies came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The nation of Israel was basically destroyed shortly after they had crucified Jesus. And that in some ways fits what this is describing, but I would, I would look a little further than, than that historical context because Jews still exist, the nation still exists, or does it exists again. <laughs> the city of Jerusalem is there. It hasn't been fully destroyed. And so I would look further down the road to the, what the Bible describes as the Great Tribulation. When we read the book of Revelation, which we're, we've started studying in our Bible study, we haven't got to that part yet, but when you get to chapter 4, the rest of the book is basically describing that <laughs> description of verse 7. The anger of the king sends forth his armies and destroys those murderers and burns up their city. That's, I think, what Jesus is pointing to, is that great tribulation, that judgment. And it's, I don't want to spend all morning on that topic, but it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. This is a judgment on Israel for rejecting Christ. It's a special time period, and Daniel describes it as a seven-year period. And it's the fulfillment of that prophetic timeline that we see in Daniel. And it's so clearly described with so much detail as we go through the book of Revelation and we start to compare with some of the other prophets from the Old Testament, describes this seven-year period of God's judgment, of God, God's armies <laughs> coming and destroying those people that have rejected his invitation. And I think, as I'm looking at that, I also see a very strong argument for the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Because this is a judgment against those who rejected him. It's, it's a destruction of those who didn't accept the invitation. And so for those, the church, who did receive that, who have, who we're about to read of in this, we get to go to the feast. We're not part of the destruction. And so, anyway, I think there's a, a picture of the, the final judgment of God and the, the rapture of the church is, is all tied together in this. We get to verse 8. It says, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. It says, as many as they found. And I just, when it says that, I, I can't think of any other phrase than whosoever will. And we see, if you want to just 
I'm just going to run through a couple of verses in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. These descriptions of this whosoever will. Matthew 7, verse 24. says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And we build our house on Christ, our rock, right? That solid foundation where it says, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, whosoever. Chapter 10, verse 32. says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever will confess me. If you hear that message, if you hear that invitation and you respond, you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father. The next chapter, chapter 11, verse 6, says, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Whosoever shall not be offended in Christ will be blessed. We know, I hope we know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever (laughs) believeth in him. Whosoever. And then if you want to turn to Romans chapter 10, and this is the key verse as we give the gospel as we're sharing the gospel message with people we, we need to come to this point in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when we share the gospel and express what Christ did, it's if, if you, if you, whoever you are, if you will do what it says and call on his name, you will be saved. There's no exceptions to that. It's just whoever will is included. In Matthew 22, verse 10, says, As many as they found, both bad and good, And I think I understand what this is saying. We, we know people, we talk to people who are not Christians, who don't believe what we believe, and we describe them as a good person. They treat others well, they, they, do, they live a decent life. They have good moral standards, they just, they go to work, they raise their children well, they, 
They don't do a lot of worldly, sinful things. They're just good people. They're still sinners. <laughs> and they're still going to be judged by God. But, like, but we, can, we understand the difference between what we call a good person in the world and bad. And um, I, I was reading the book by, um, I lost his name, James Coates. And he's describing his time in jail when he was put in jail for holding church services last year in Alberta. <laughs> Just to clarify our time period here. But he was in jail in maximum security prison for preaching held in a church service. But he describes the people there. And I think you'll find that anybody who does prison ministry finds that there are a lot of people who profess to believe the gospel who are in prison for doing horrific, terrible crimes. <laughs> Remember Jeff talking about someone he met downtown it would have been years ago. Somebody like just drunk, completely out of their mind, and quoting Romans 7. <laughs> Knowing the things that they're doing are destroying them and wishing that they wouldn't do those things. Knowing not to do those things and yet seemingly unable to stop themselves from living that life. These are, to me, this is what Jesus is saying. He called the good and the bad. He went, Israel, you're, you're going to reject the gospel? You're going to reject Christ? I'm going to invite everybody. <laughs> and it's not just the good, upright, nice, you know, upper class. There's few of those that come. <laughs> but those who are living a life on the streets of sin and, and despair and of a life of crime, these guys that end up in jail, they understand their sin. <laughs> they understand the gospel because they can comprehend the judgment of God for the things that they've done. And they can comprehend what Christ did and the need that they have of that gospel message. Those good people often don't see their need because they think they're good. They're, they've got the same problem that these Jews have. And so he calls as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. We often say we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven at who is there and also who isn't there. These good, upright people that sit in the church pews on Sunday mornings are often not the people who you will see on the streets of heaven. But the people that we see on the streets of the city may be some of those that we see there. Those that we reject as unprofitable, useless, a waste, <laughs> wasted lives. Those are the ones that can comprehend the gospel. <laughs> so as many as they found. 
we need to understand who we are. <laughs> um, I'm going to read the story in, in Mark chapter 7. It's a story of a woman who, who understands who she is. <laughs> or at very least accepts what Jesus says about who she is. So Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 7, starting uh, verse 25, says, A certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone unto thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. Jesus calls her a dog. <laughs> How many of us would respond in the same way that she did? With, yes, Lord. <laughs> yep, I'm a dog. But she's, even the dogs get some of the scraps, right? <laughs> Come to our house on Friday for supper and we have pizza and our dog sits there and stares at you because she knows she gets the crust. <laughs> Some people appreciate that less than others, but <laughs> she's not discriminative of who she's begging from at that point. It's just, that's, that's our, our Friday meal and that's our habit. But the dog gets the scraps, the crumbs from the table. And Jesus is calling this woman a dog. She's, that's what we are. <laughs> We're the dogs under the table getting the scraps. We are the, the good and the bad, the people in the highways. We get the blessing of God's people rejected Christ. And he extended that invitation to everybody else. And they have the advantage. And yet here we are with the opportunity and whether good or bad, it's not about who I am, not about what I've done. It's about what he did and the invitation. And am I, just gonna, am I going to accept that invitation? That's how wonderful that gospel message is. So we can be like this woman, be a dog under the table, understand who we are, and receive the blessing nonetheless. So we finish off this passage. Verse 11 says, And when the king came to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into odor darkness. There shall be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Now, verse 13 is pretty clear. We can easily comprehend what that is picturing. And if we look at Revelation 20, 
um, the last few verses here, verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's that judgment. There's that odor darkness, that weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a, a judgment. And it says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life. I'm not sure I fully understand and can explain what Jesus was getting at with these verses. But I do see these other passages. Um, that point back to, I think it's Matthew 7, we, there's one example where, you know, many will come in my name saying, have we not done many works and done wonderful things and cast out devils in your name? These are religious people, <laughs> people who went to church, people who preached, named the name of Jesus think that they're going to be a part of that group. But when they're standing at the door trying to come into that wedding, there's that day of judgment where he says, I never knew you. And that's a matter of that point that I was making. Is like, Did you understand that it was your sin that caused Jesus to be crucified on that cross? that it was a God's wrath on him for you, <laughs> that you deserved that. And many people don't see their own deserving of that. Like the, the Jews that Jesus is talking to as he's telling these things didn't see themselves as that. They didn't see themselves worthy of God's judgment. They thought that they were justified in their good works. And so many people who sit in a church pew on Sunday morning think that they're justified by their good works and never understand that it's their sin that put Jesus on that cross. And so those people, unfortunately, receive that I never knew you statement from God on that day of judgment because their name was never written in the book of life. We need to make sure our name is written in that book of life. That last verse that I had read this morning, verse 14, says, For many are called, but few are chosen. And I like John chapter 12, verse 32. I won't, I won't turn to it. I have it written here. It says, And if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's Christ talking Many are called. I'll draw all men unto me. But not all will respond, right? Isaiah 53, verse 6, 
It says, the Lord hath laid on him, that's Christ, the iniquity of us all. Jesus' death on that cross was sufficient for any and everyone's sin. But there's a requirement to respond to the invitation that God is offering. We have to respond. <laughs> the, the payment's been paid, but there's a requirement for us to respond to that, to accept the invitation. John 3. It's so important to read past verse 16 because <laughs> there's such an important explanation. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that's the whole point, is that the world, the world, anybody, everybody, Everybody could be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Um, one of our, the other missionaries with Rural Life Mission, pastors in uh, Sprucedale, had said that to me one time. He says that the Bible says that Christ paid for all sins, like once for all, so that all might be saved. So sins are paid for already. The only thing keeping anybody out of heaven is believing <laughs> on Jesus, accepting the invitation. The payment's already been paid. The only thing left is to believe. But he that believeth not is condemned already. <laughs> The condemnation is, is there from the start, and there is only one way out of it. It's just simple faith in Christ. And Second Peter 3, verse 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. He wants everybody to respond. The invitation is out for all, and is, there's room for anyone, for everyone. It's just who's going to respond. I wrote the sentence to end with here. It says, to the people who had the most opportunity but don't believe, he became the stone that the builders rejected. But to those who do believe, he is the chief cornerstone, the foundation of all that we believe and do. And that's the, the last part of the, the previous chapter was speaking Jesus use that explanation of that chief cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected, became the head of the corner. And that's what he is to us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for the ministry of Christ, for these parables that he tells as he's talking with these religious leaders who are rejecting the invitation that was offered to them, Lord. And he's telling them just plainly that if they reject him, the offering, the invitation is going to go out to any and everyone. 
And so clearly in the previous passage that as they reject him, the stone that they're rejecting as they're building their church, building their foundation on dead works, he becomes the head of the corner, the foundation that the true church builds their faith on, Lord, because he is what paid for our sin, not our own works. And so, Lord, we're just grateful for that message, for the gospel, the simplicity of just having to receive, to accept the invitation to come to the feast. So, again, we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name.